Welcome to the Driving Dentistry Forward podcast, where successful dental pros and anyone who values the power of a smile can get an edge in the dynamic worlds of healthcare and business. Hosts Chuck Cohen and Rick Cohen speak with top influencers in the world of dentistry and explore essential tools, trends worth your time, and solutions that help you practice smarter. So welcome to another edition of Benco's Driving Dentistry Forward podcast, where we interview some of the leading uh, folks in the dental world today. Today, I am really proud and excited to interview Stephanie Goddard of the Glidewell Corporation, who is a recipient of the Lucy Hobbs Project Mentoring Award for last year. Uh, We've been doing the Lucy Hobbs Awards at Benco for many years, and it is our pleasure to welcome Stephanie, not only as a podcast person, as a podcast um, interviewee, but also as an award recipient. Uh, I just wanna give a full disclosure here. I consider Stephanie a friend uh, and a business colleague. We've known each other for several years and I couldn't be more excited to interview her today. Uh, So welcome, Stephanie. We're glad you're here and congratulations on your award. Thank you. Thank you, Chuck. I appreciate it. That's a a really kind introduction. I appreciate it. And and I was, yeah, I was so honored to be in the Lucy Hobbs it, just in that category, or even to be considered, but then to win something was really overwhelming. That's excellent. Well, thank you. And um, for those of you who are new to these podcasts, the Lucy Hobbs Project honors the women who drive dentistry forward. And so um, our profession is uh, is very much um, uh, centered on women, and, and we want to honor those women leaders who really make a difference for dentistry. And st- certainly, Stephanie, you're high on that list. So thank you and welcome, and thank you for being here today. Um, so Stephanie, if you could take a minute, minute, could you walk a little bit through your, your history, uh, especially in the, on the dental side of your career, and talk to us a little bit about uh, where you've come from and how you got to where you are today? I, I, so my, my career started off a little bit differently. So I actually, before dental, I was in, I was a consultant. So I worked at Pricewaterhouse. I was a strategy consultant. I worked at the World Bank in DC and did um, internal leadership development. And then I sort of landed in this space and in, in dental. And, and I remember the CFO at the time, Rob Grice, interviewing me and and I told him, I don't know anything about crowns and bridges. I would have thought that the tooth fairy takes your teeth. So the tooth fairy gives them back when you need a new one. So I, I never knew there was such a thing as a dental lab. And, and I, was, I, I was moving from the East Coast to the West Coast and looking for a new opportunity. And I, I landed at Glidewell and they took a chance on me, uh, knowing nothing, like I said, about the industry other than having a regular teeth cleaning and, <laughs> and being deathly afraid of the dentist, I think. Um, so when I, when I started my career here, actually, I uh, started almost 15 years ago, it'll be 15 years in September, and I came on as the VP of Human Resources. So I had a strategy background, a leadership development background, and a change management background, and they were really looking for somebody, not who was an HR expert, but somebody who could manage change and growth. And at the time, we were just about 1,100 employees. And now almost 15 years later, almost 5,000 employees. So we've had significant, significant growth. And and they knew that we were going to be on this growth trajectory. So they were looking for somebody who could really help with change management and help build the leadership potential that we had in the organization. Fabulous. Yeah, so so I became the, so I'm sorry, I'll just finish it out. Um, I became the VP of HR. Then I moved into 
Um, I started just taking on more things. I was crazy one day and we didn't have a head of regulatory. And I was like, I learned HR laws and rules and regulations. I could certainly learn all about FDA. So I took on regulatory affairs and I became the VP of business operations. And then I became the EVP of business operations. And now today I'm actually the CXO. Wow. CXO is customer experience? Yes, chief experience officer. That's awesome. And one of the things that's always impressed me, Stephanie, about working with you and watching your career is how you've really consistently grown your portfolio. Um, and so that's been very impressive. It's, it's, it's terrific. You, you have grown with the organization and you've helped drive that growth. So, uh, and, and, and as you mentioned before, in many different disciplines within the organization, what's that been like? What have been the biggest challenges in that? It's a, it's a huge challenge. So today I, I, I still oversee HR today, but I have an EVP running it. I um, oversee sales um, and, and business development. I oversee um, customer experience, so all of our call centers, and I do a lot of business development work. And then I have a leadership uh, development team. And then on top of it, I just took on IT for the organization about eight weeks ago. And, you know, it's, it's interesting with every new sort of division and department, you know, I'm not a software developer. So for me to learn how to speak the language and for that team to trust me and my leadership, it's a huge challenge, but I love it because it's the thing that gets me excited is the fact that I get something new to learn. And, and that's, I think, you know, looking back at my career, I've been with multiple companies and obviously I've left. Um, and I've been at Glidewell the longest, and it's because of that ability to just always try something new, learn something new, and continue to grow, you know, in the realm of the organization and to, and to grow with the organization. It's exciting for me to see how far we've come um, in the time frame that I've been here. It's, it's amazing. And getting back to where we started the conversation around mentorship and mentoring, learning is just such an important part of that. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Which of the men, which... Who has been an important mentor in your career? And on the other side, where do you think you have been successful as a mentor with others? Yeah, I, it's a really interesting question. You know, for me, I've had these phenomenal mentors my whole life and my whole career, and I've been really lucky. And it's never been something that's been formalized. I never went to somebody and said, hey, will you be my mentor? And I've never had that, but I've just had these leaders that took me under their wing throughout my career. And I really credit them with, with, you know, helping me grow along my path. And I think it all started with my very first boss. Um, when I was in graduate school, uh, he was a PhD industrial psychologist. I was um, a full-time intern working there. Um, it was at Allstate Insurance Company and they had um, a research division. They did all of the research for all of all states at this one location in Menlo Park. And I worked with PhD um, psychologists, industrial psychologists. And, um, and so I was working with him and I, I loved my job and I was going to school at night and getting my master's degree. And he pulled me in his office one day and he said, I have this job opening. Um, and uh, it was with Bank of America and their corporate offices doing a similar type of role, like research and um, human development research for Bank of America worldwide. And I remember being so shocked and thinking, oh, my God, you want to get rid of me? Like, where have I failed? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and he could see the shock in my face. And I was just a young kid at the time. And he said, 
Stephanie, they can offer you something I can't. This is a permanent position. It's got benefits. It's got all these things and it's got growth potential. You're an intern here and this internship is meant for interns and it, it won't convert into a full-time position. And to this day, I'm still really good friends with this gentleman and I still consider him a mentor. And I was like, that is the most selfless thing that an employer can do for somebody is to consider the future of their employee. And um, it just was so impactful for me that I, I've always wanted to give back. And I always think it's about paying it forward. Some, so somebody did something for me. And so then I need to continue to pay it forward and not just one time, but multiple times. And, you know, so throughout my life, I've done similar things like, hey, somebody, a recruiter called me and they told me about a position. I'm not interested, but I think it's a phenomenal position for you. And I get the same look of fear from the people I tell it to. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and then for me, you know, really, when I got into the dental industry, you know, working at places like Pricewaterhouse and the World Bank, you see men and women in similar leadership positions. Um, you know, I had female partners I worked with. I actually got to a point where I worked with another colleague, a female colleague of mine, and we developed our own sort of uh, practice division um, on human capital uh, development and, and growth. And we never had anybody help hold us back because we were women or um, you know, they just, they saw us bringing in money and they're like, hey, go build this practice. And when I got into dental and I started this around the time that I met you, Chuck, you know, I was going to the dental conventions and I didn't see a lot of women in leadership positions, um, whether it was on the manufacturing side or on the at the speaker um, level. Right. So there weren't a lot of key opinion leaders that were female speaking. And yet the female population in dentistry was growing significantly in the schools and um, even in our own business, you know, we had a lot of male KOLs, but not a lot of female KOLs. And, and so I just thought, um, here's something that maybe I could have some impact in yep. and, and try to, you know, do something. And, and a lot of it was um, women maybe not having the tools necessary in order to have that confidence in becoming a key opinion leader. Mm -hmm. um, some of it is maybe, you know, they felt like, oh, I put my career on hold for a little bit to have children. And now how do I get into this? Mm -hmm. And some of it was just around networks. Like they didn't know yeah. how to get into it. Um, and so I, um, I, you know, went to Jim Glidewell and said, I really want to put together a women in dentistry program that's focused on leadership, not on dental CE. So, you know, we as Glycol don't get a lot out of that. Um, you know, it, it's not, you know, they're not taking CE from us and then, you know, buying our implant system or, or you know, buying something from us, but it's about doing a greater good for the, for the broader population and how do we elevate women and give them some tools so that they could be confident and get to that next level. So, so we invested heavily in a 12 month program um, the, the first cohort, we had 13 women participate and it was, like I said, 12 months long, um, nine of the sessions or eight of the sessions were in person and the rest were online, but one course, one course a weekend and, and they were all kinds of different things, right? So one was public speaking, one was 
you know, how to um, manage conflict and, and deal with conflict, how to have those conversations. We did a financial awareness um, course, right? So how to manage your books. What is a P&L? What, it, what do these numbers really tell you? Yeah. Business healthy or not? Uh-huh. Um, and then each of the ladies got an executive coach for a year so they could use that coach to in whatever business realm that they wanted to. And the wonderful thing is... Um, I just got together with all of the ladies at EGD last weekend. We all flew in. Two of the ladies um, got their fellowship just last weekend. And so the rest of us flew in to celebrate with them. And it's this tribe or sisterhood. They're all so supportive of one another. And during the pandemic, when they were all shut down, you know, we had a Friday happy hour to kind of keep everybody going. And, you know, we've got ages from... Um, late 20s all the way up to I'm going to say late 50s in the group and so people who have seen different things the downturn in the economy who can really be there to support the younger ones or the the ones who have newer practices and help give them confidence that you're going to get through this and give it you know financial advice like with PPP loans some didn't know how to access them and that sort of thing so it's been this amazing journey and, and something that, you know, every time I see these women, I'm just so honored to be a part of their group because they're, they're, they're just fun and they're brilliant and they're doing great things. It's great. Now, how many classes have you had? That's the first one. Have you done it since then? So that was the first class. And then we were going to do this big, um, uh, you know, um, summit at the end of it as their formal graduation. And that was in April and it all, the world shut down. Yes. Um, and then, you know, we were going to announce the set, the application process for the second cohort and, uh, you know, everything, as you know, the world collapsed. On us. Right. So, so, so I haven't had a chance to start it back up again, but we are going to actually formally launch it. We're going to change it a little bit. We learned a lot the first time and, yeah you know, got feedback from the ladies, what worked, what didn't work, what do you need more of and less of? And that was one of the things too. It's like, hey, just know this is a pilot and we need feedback. So be willing to take this ride with us and know that we're, we're not going to have it perfect the first time. So, um, so yeah, well, we're going to actually finally launch it again next year. So I'll have a second cohort. And, and the way that it's structured is the ladies in the first um, with the second group, they'll get an executive coach, but now they're also going to get a mentor. So they'll get a mentor assigned to them from the first group. And then we'll continue to build this group of support network. That's fabulous. Congratulations. That's great. I'm a little jealous that I'm not part of that. So I know I don't, I don't exactly fit the suit as we say, but that sounds hugely exciting. So what, what did you learn in that process about mentoring that improved your ability to be a leader? I mean, was there any learnings that you took away from that experience with that first cohort of, of, of uh, women uh, dental leaders? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot that I learned. I, I think there's still so much more that we could do. It's, you know, I think it's people are afraid to ask for a mentor. So I think what I learned is that you have to, if you're willing to be a mentor, you almost have to kind of take somebody on as you know and take them under your wing and I think too another thing that I realize is people um you don't have to have it so formalized I think that people are afraid of mentorship because they think oh it's a three-hour commitment x number of days a month and I just can't commit to that 
And what I realized is it's, it's actually just about having somebody to text or call or ask for that random advice. And so I think sometimes we put so much, um, you know, too much of a spotlight on it and, and make it too big of a deal. Whereas what I realized is it's just creating connections and then they, they really grow kind of on their own organically. Networking and mentoring sometimes have an overlap. And I think that's really what you're saying is you got to have both. And I agree with you. Sometimes we all let perfect be the enemy of good enough. You know, sometimes it's that stray conversation when someone needs some advice that really makes all the difference, even if it only takes five or eight minutes or so. Right. So transitioning over, you, uh, you are a key female executive in a business that was certainly founded by a gentleman, Jim yes. Glidewell. And I would say for many years, most of us would say was mostly a male, um, a male driven business. Um, and I would suspect you were the first key leader in the organization who was not a male. That's my guess. Is that correct? Yep. yep. Yeah. That's correct. So in that, in that way, you were, it's a nice way of saying, in that way, you were definitely a trailblazer and still are. Talk to us a little bit about the challenges that you faced in your career as the first female executive in a very growing, very male dominated, you know, industry and business. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I'm the first, um, I'm the first C-level executive in the history of this company. Um, and so I guess for me, I now feel this sense of um, um, duty, I guess is the word, to raise other women as well in the organization. So obviously there's only, you know, there's only so many C-suite positions in any organization, but there are a lot of leadership positions in an organization. And so I think, you know, what I feel is a sense of duty and helping people understand leadership is not just about a title, but it can be in anything, right? It can be a role that you play on a team. You can take a leadership role. It can, leadership is also mentoring. You don't have to be a senior person to mentor somebody. Um, I feel like, you know, I have a lot of mentors in my life who are actually very junior to me, but I learn so much more. Yeah. Um, from their perspective than I do sometimes from people who are more experienced and, and senior than I, than me. I think, you know, I look at people like Laura Kelly, who um, is, you know, somebody I admire, Rita Aquafreda at, um, at Henry Schein. I've, I've admired her for many, many years. Sarah Anders, who's um, now at Hugh Frady, uh, you know, she's been um, somebody that I look up to. So, so, you know, I have these, amazing, strong women, um, you know, in dentistry, um, but they're few and far between. So, um, you know, what I'm interested in doing is just how do we continue to support one another across an industry, much like you have with several male colleagues, you know, you've got great relationships, you know, with Jim Glidewell and with Greg Minzenmeyer um, and with others in other industries. And just because Sometimes we're competitors in spaces, you know, all of our companies are competitors, but we, we also have ways to support and align and, and partner with each other. And, and so for me, that's kind of the next step is how do we continue to build some of these women across, not just in global, but across the community. That's, aw that's totally awesome. And I love a lot of the names that you mentioned. I know them and they're terrific leaders. Um, What's it like, or what are the challenges of being the only woman voice in a room sometimes? 
I, well, you know me, I'm not really one to be shy. So That's true. That's true. But, but are there times when you feel that there's a certain amount of pressure there that wouldn't be there if you were in a room with, mo with more women? Or do you feel no. like it doesn't really impact things? No, I guess I don't feel like it impacts impacts me. I think that um, I, I sometimes I think maybe it's more of an advantage for me than a disadvantage, which is interesting because I am the only woman. So sometimes it's almost easier for me to speak up or have a differing opinion. Cause I think sometimes there's an expectation that if it's a woman, maybe she has a different opinion. Right. So Got it. Okay. <laughs> um, well, that, that's, that's super cool. That's great. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I, ha I, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really lucky. I work with an amazing team of guys. I, I actually, you, you've been to our offices, Chuck. So, you know, Jim sits in a bullpen, right? So and you'll see it when you're here in a couple of weeks, but I actually moved into the office with Jim. So it's Jim Glidewell, Greg Menzenmeyer, our COO, um, Javad Saronic, he's our EVP and he runs all of our lab operations. And then Daryl Withrow, who's our VP of ops and then myself. So it's four guys and me all day, every day. So, you know, like you have to pretty much get used to it. You have to be not, you have to lean in and don't be afraid. Right. Exactly. That's really what you got to do. I would say the biggest challenge for me, you know, I didn't grow up with a bunch of brothers. I have two older brothers, but they were basically out of the house by the time I was little. And so it's just, you know, guys are different than girls, right? They cut their fingernails at the desk or just do their <laughs> things or they're loud or, you know, like we are, <laughs> guys have different habits. And then I'm sure, you know, they look at me and I'm putting my lipstick on, you know, it's right. like, what are you doing? <laughs> It's so funny. You learn a lot about a person when you're in the de desk next door to them or whatever. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, so to segue over, you have an interesting perspective, at least from, from my view, on, a, on the laboratory side of the business, which traditionally, I think, has been way more male-dominated at the technician level than female. Is that correct? And really, what, what are you doing about that at Glidewell to try to uh, accelerate the progress of women, especially at the front lines on the technician level? That's a great question because so when I when I came here to Glidewell, we had two women who ran um, divisions, um, but other than that, it was all men running the lab floor, and and those two women really stood out. Um, but I would say they were really um, tough ladies, really really tough ladies, and and one of the reasons why Rob Grice hired me back then was because he wanted to develop the next generation of leaders, and so you're familiar with the lab environment, but they all learned from whoever they worked for in the past who, you know, it's a very blue collar environment. Um, you know, most people maybe had some college, but not a lot of leadership development, not a lot of skill around how do you motivate employees, right? They use motivation to them was I'll pay you more, you know, but, but you have to know how to intrinsically motivate people and, and how to get them to follow you because, um, you know, you can have the title leader or manager, but you're just a manager if nobody wants to follow you, right? So yep. um, the, you know, so so what we did way back then was when I came here, we, we had no leadership development. And so that was really my primary focus in the first couple of years was to create an entire leadership development um, program. And, and that was really how my guiding leaders program was born was 
I created, my team created a 12-month leadership development program. It's kind of a little mini MBA program. And we started taking our line managers and putting them through that. And then our top managers started saying, hey, my manager is talking to me about concepts I don't understand. And, um, you know, can, can I have this? I want a program like this. And so then we created an executive leadership program off of that to give them some of the, some of the same tools so that they could understand what their leadership was learning. And then we created a high potentials program, which is anybody in the organization can apply to be in it. It's high potentials. You can be high potential on anything. You don't have to be in a leadership position. And um, so through those venues, we've now accelerated many more women in our organization who are running or running departments. In fact, one of our biggest departments is run by a woman who used to be running, um, ran a small group, a phone, a phone group. So she's running our digital department where all of our, the interoral scans come through her division. And it's probably the second largest department in the organization. It's, it's just massive and growing like this every day. And she's phenomenal. So, you know, she went through that program and, uh, and, and it's, it's phenomenal to watch it and see it. But we have women all across the organization growing up. The woman who is our EVP of human resources, uh, when I started here, she was working in the payroll department, which was part of HR at the time. And I've kind of gotten to grow her and then watch her. She went off and got her MBA and then really took it on herself and has become this, you know, just brilliant HR leader that I could have only have hoped to have been. Well, you're, what you're talking about is not just exciting and not just satisfying, but it actually makes the business so much better because when you think about it for years, a business like yours, a business like ours at Benco, we weren't really giving half of our population the opportunity to truly reach their potential because we didn't have the right systems in place. We didn't have the right support in place. And now we are much better off because we have people who have a lot of upward potential are actually making bigger contributions to the organization. Yeah, and it's amazing when you just sort of consider a whole other portion of your organization, you start to realize, hey, we've got a lot more talent than we maybe were recognizing. No question. That's hugely exciting. Um, talk for a minute, if you would, about a personal challenge that maybe you overcame in your career or on the personal side, uh, something that maybe where you, where you had to overcome something that was an obstacle or get around something where... You had to sort of figure it out. That's a good question. There's been so many. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I don't want to mean to bring up a bad topic. So hopefully it's something that had a good ending. I mean, I'll just use Glidewell maybe as the example as an obstacle. So, so it's interesting, you know, coming into this industry, um, knowing nothing about teeth, right? I, it was a challenge. I mean, I, I knew nothing. I didn't know what a tooth number was. I didn't know anterior, posterior, buccal, lingual, you know, I did, <laughs> um, mesial. I didn't understand any of that language. And, um, and the, the one thing I remember you, you, coming from consulting, you want to go in and fix, right? Like your job is you have a really short time frame. You, you know, your time and materials are your fixed price, right? We've told you we're going to do this for you for this much money. So my mindset was, I'm going to go in, I'm going to figure it out, I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to tell you 
how to fix it. And then as a consultant, I'm going to leave, right? I'm going to, I'm going to tell you how to fix it. I'm going to help you fix it. And then I'm going to walk out the door. And so for me coming into Glyva, I had, you know, I remember Rob telling me, don't fix it right away. I just want you to observe. And then let's talk about how we, what we need to fix and then how we fix it. And then Stephanie, you need to stay here to help us. There's no leaving. There's no, you're not a consultant that we're hiring who's now, you know, just going to walk out the door and leave us to figure out this whole thing. And so it was such a shift for me to go from this mindset and to really slow down and say, okay, I'm really going to take the time to one, first, let me understand the business and the vernacular, right? I don't understand this language. It's like, you know, Chinese to me, it doesn't make any sense. And then, so I really spent time then trying to interview everybody to say, hey, what are your challenges, right? Um, and for me too, I was not accepted in this organization because everyone in Global, we've been around for 51 years and they really kind of grew up in the organization and then moved up in the organization. And they had never hired somebody from the outside at a DP level. And so they're like, who is this girl from DC coming in here, you know, in her fancy clothes and, you know, telling us what to do. And, um, and so, you know, and, and, and why did we promote from within? Why did this person come in as a VP from the outside? Who is she? And so it was humbling to come in and take a breath and learn from people and really try to understand it on their level and their level of expertise and then try to say, okay, what I hear you saying is this, let me repeat it back. And they were so patient with me. And I will say it took me probably three years to gain the trust of people, but I think I finally did it. Like knock on wood, I think I'm right that I've uh, done it. A hundred percent. I would definitely agree with that. So so what you're really talking about is how to overcome the problem and challenges of being an outsider yeah. in a business, in an industry, in a business that's very insider driven. I mean, I think Glidewell really reflects this idea within dentistry that we all have that the expert is the person who understands mesial and lingual and understands the, the, the vernacular and people from outside just don't get it. Right. So how yeah. do you overcome that challenge? And boy, that's a, that's a tough one. It sounds like, and I know you've done it very well. Well, I think, you know, even in, at Banco, in, in, in any kind of dental manufacturing, it's the same people. If they leave one company, they go to somebody else. But, you know, you like, you kind of know everybody in the industry because you leave one lab, go to another lab, or you leave, you know, Henry Schein and go to Banco, or Banco goes to... So, like, it's kind of this incestuous industry that I've never really been a part of before I came here. I get it. I grew up in it. So I understand exactly what you're saying. It's not an easy place to break into. So interesting. So it's interesting to see and hear that. Um, so last question, is there a motto or some sort of a, a wisdom, brief wisdom that you want to share with, uh, with everyone out there that really sort of encompasses you the way you look at life or the way you look at being a woman executive? Oh, um, I, I guess, you know, I tell people kind of my motto is, um, I strive to make a mistake, but learn from it every day. <laughs> Good stuff. And, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, people ask me, like, how do you take on departments that you don't understand anything about? And I 
try to look at it as I'm not going to be fearful. I can fail, um, but I, I don't see failure as an option for me. And I don't think that I have to be the expert in everything. So what I try to tell younger leaders is don't be afraid to hire people that are smarter than you. If they pass you up, they pass you up and it's meant to be, right? Then you something, that was like their course, but hire people who are smarter than you because you're always going to learn something from them and that's only going to elevate you and your career. So I think that's something that I've, really try to practice. And, and when I interview people and bring them on the team, I'm always sort of saying to myself, when am I going to learn from this person? Um, so those are my two bits of advice. And how cool is it that we started this program, this conversation talking about learning, and then we're going to end on a note of talking about learning. So <laughs> Stephanie, thank you very much for being here. Once again, congratulations on your Lucy Hobbs Project Award for Mentorship. And really, thank you very much for sharing your, your wisdom, your experience here. You are truly one of the women driving dentistry forward. We are proud to be associated with you. And thank you for taking the time today. Thanks for listening in. Don't want to miss an episode of the Driving Dentistry Forward podcast? Subscribe today on your favorite podcast app.